If you want to open up your copy of Scripture to Galatians chapter 5, we'll be looking there this morning. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. So last week we took a brief break from the Gospel of John. We'll be doing the same this morning as we turn to look at the doctrine of Christian liberty, the doctrine of Christian liberty. Now, whether we realize it or not, this is actually a doctrine, a truth that affects every area of our lives as Christians. Every moment that we live in this world, we are affected by this doctrine of Christian liberty. It was actually a big part of the Reformation, and it is a big part of our lives today. Every factor, every area of our lives is affected by this. Almost every decision that we make as Christians is in some way affected by this doctrine. And at the heart of the question is this, what is the Christian free to do or not to do? What is the Christian free to do or not to do? What is the Christian bound by and not bound by? Who is the Christian bound to or not bound to? And there's lots of different questions that can come up in our mind, right? Can the Christian drink alcohol? Can the Christian get tattoos? Can the Christian do this or do that? There's a laundry list of things that pop into our mind, who we vote for, what TV shows we watch. I mean, the list is endless. We also think of things that we could possibly be bound to or people that we could be bound to. Maybe it's our favorite celebrity pastor, right, or influencer or something like this. Maybe it's a new prophecy from the Lord or a new word from the Lord. There's lots of different things that would seek to bind the conscience of God's people. And these are all questions of Christian liberty. And I think in our day, this doctrine has largely either been misunderstood, misapplied, neglected, abused. There's, in many, there's many senses in which this doctrine has been neglected. And so as we look to Scripture today, my hope is that we'll see just how important this is and central not only to our practice as Christians, but to our faith what we believe about things like salvation, justification, and our right standing before the Lord. And I think we'll see in our passage today, and we'll, and we'll look at several different verses as we go through this morning, but we'll see in our passage today that the apostle exhorts God's people to remain steadfast in their Christian liberty, in the liberty that Christ has purchased for them. Not abusing it, not misusing it, but he encourages them to continue in it, lest they should enslave themselves to the bondage and elemental principles of this world. And the truth is that we're all prone to do this. We're all prone to enslave ourselves in some way to things that are not God or his word. And so my hope this morning is that we'll see that through Christ, God has freed us. God has freed us and he has freed us from the guilt of sin, the condemnation of the law, and that God alone is Lord of the conscience. That God alone is Lord of the conscience. He's left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men, and that this liberty that has been purchased by Christ actually frees us. It frees us to serve God, to obey his commands, and as we just read, not out of slavish fear, but out of 
love for Christ and because of what he has done for us in the gospel. So I'm going to read Galatians 5, verse 1. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll look at God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray this morning that as we look to Scripture, as we look to what your word teaches about the liberty and freedom that Christ has purchased for us, that we would stand firm, as Paul exhorts us here, to stand firm in that freedom, to not submit again to a yoke of slavery, to bind ourselves to things that are not found in your word, and that as we seek to live out this Christian life and practice, that you would give us strength, that you would empower us by your spirit, and that we would be strengthened today as we hear your word. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I was kind of talking with some brothers before the service started, and it's interesting. There's a lot of paradoxes in the Christian life, right? There's a lot of paradoxes that we encounter in Scripture. Some of them are fairly straightforward, right? We are both called dead to ourselves, yet alive in Christ, right? We've died to ourselves, and we're alive in Christ. We are, um, in a sense, poor in this world, right? We're to be pitied above all men, in a sense, and yet we are rich in faith and spiritual blessings that are imperishable and undefiled. We are called sojourners, exiles in this world, on this earth, and yet we're called citizens of heaven. And as Christians, we see in Scripture that we are both bound and free. (laughs) We are both bound and we are free. There's a quote from Martin Luther on the, t- on the topic of Christian liberty. He says this, A Christian is perfectly free, Lord of all and subject to none. But a Christian is also a slave, a perfectly dutiful servant subject to all. A Christian is both bound and free. As Paul says in Romans 6, slaves to righteousness, bound to love and serve our brothers and sisters in the Lord, and yet we are also free with true liberty of conscience before God and man, free from the bondage and slavery of the doctrines and commandments of men. But before we can kind of talk about this doctrine of the liberty of conscience, we must first look at the liberty and freedom from the power and guilt of our sin. And so that brings us to our first point this morning. Our first point this morning, we'll look at the liberty that we have from condemnation. The liberty that God's people have from condemnation. That in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have been freed from the condemnation, from the guilt of our sin, and our conscience has been cleansed and purified. We have been freed from the guilt and condemnation of our sin, and our conscience has been cleansed and purified. Now, God has made us in such a way that we have this thing that we call the conscience. 
It's this faculty, this capacity of mankind to discern right from wrong, good from evil, righteousness from unrighteousness. This is what we call the conscience. Now, it's not infallibly that we're able to discern these things, right? We still, we don't always get these things right, but we are aware of when we sin and when we obey. There's this thing called a conscience that convicts us. We are aware when we violate this law of God, because as image bearers, we have a soul and we have God's raw, the law of God written on our hearts. God has given us a conscience. This is a good thing. But we see in Scripture that because of the fall into sin, our conscience is not clear before God, but soiled and tainted. Our conscience is not clear before God, but it is soiled and tainted. We are not innocent before God, but guilty. We are not innocent before God, but guilty. We're not blessed in our sin, but we're cursed, as we just read about. We're not justified before a holy God. We're condemned. We are under a yoke of slavery, under the weight and curse of the law of God, deserving death, hell, the wrath of God for our sins, and under the power and bondage of Satan. And the Scripture is really clear that this is everyone apart from Christ. This is everyone apart from faith in Christ. Paul will say in Romans chapter 2 that even the pagan Gentiles that have never read a word of Scripture have a conscience, and their conscience convicts them because the work of the law is written on their hearts. He says that their conscience even accuses them. Their conscience accuses them when they sin. And this is true of you and I as well. Our conscience condemns us, and we feel the guilt of our sin. All you have to do is think about the last time you sinned, the last time you violated the law of guilt, the law of God, that sense that came over you, that guilt overbreaking God's law, This is us in our sin. We are all born under the law of God as this covenant of works that we must keep and obey perfectly, right? What does the scripture say? Do this and live. Obey God perfectly and you'll have life, but fail to obey and you'll be cursed. And I was kind of reminded, if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, the main character has this great burden on his back that he's carrying And he can't overcome the weight and burden of this massive weight, this curse of the law, this guilt of his sin, this huge burden of guilt, condemnation, curse that Christian is carrying as he goes on his pilgrimage. This is all of us. We, in our sin, we carry this massive weight of guilt that eats away at us. It causes us to turn into ourselves. But as we see in Scripture, the good news of the gospel is that Christ has set us free. He has truly set His people free from this bondage. As we read this morning, He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. Taking the curse that we deserve. The hell, the wrath that was due to us. He's delivered us, as we find from other passages, delivered us from the power of, and bondage of Satan. Liberated us from condemnation 
by faith in him. This is why Paul can say in Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we see three things that Christ has freed us from. First, he's freed us from the guilt of sin. He's freed us from the guilt of sin. From the guilt of sin, the just wrath of God, and the curse that the law had over us. He's freed us from the guilt of sin. We also see, secondly, that he's freed us from the power of sin. He's freed us from the power of sin, freed us from those things that used to enslave us, what Paul will call the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? Those things that enslave God's people, the world that tells us how, we, how it thinks we should live, our own flesh that tempts us to sin, and Satan himself who would use all of these things against God's people. We've been freed in Christ from the power and enslavement of our sin. And thirdly, we see that we've been freed from the punishment that was due to us in our sin. We've been freed from the punishment of sin. We've been liberated not only from the fear of death and the power of the grave, but the hell that our sin had rightly earned. This is what Christ has freed God's people from. This is what he has freed Christians from from condemnation, our conscience is cleared, no longer under the law as this covenant of works, crushing God's people, but in his covenant of grace, whereby he gives us the righteousness of Christ. And so it's only when we see the greatness of our sin and the the wrath that was due to us, and it's only when we see the grace and mercy that Christ has poured out for us that we can rightly understand this liberty of conscience that God's people have. It's only when we understand the liberty from condemnation that we can rightly understand our liberty of conscience. And that brings us to our second point this morning, the liberty of conscience. (laughs) The liberty of conscience that not only has Christ freed us from the guilt, power, and punishment of our sin, but he has also freed us from the doctrines and commandments of men. He's freed us from the doctrines and commandments of men. That as our confession says so helpfully, God alone is Lord of the conscience. God alone is Lord of the conscience. As James will say, there is only one law giver. There is only one law giver. One ruler of the Christian conscience. And one rule that binds the conscience of God's people and that is the Word of God. The Word of God given by God Himself, this is what is to bind the consciences of God's people. It is the Word of God alone that binds God's people. The only certain and infallible rule of faith and practice, the only thing that is to regulate the consciences of God's people. And you might think to yourself, how is being bound to God's Word liberty, right? How is being bound to the Word of God, how is that freedom? And in the way our world kind of thinks about freedom, freedom is just, it is no bounds, right? So how is being bound to God's Word, how is that true Christian 
liberty, this great paradox that we talked about, but we'll see that this is what is true Christian liberty. True Christian liberty. That while the Christian conscience is indeed bound to the Word of God, it is also free from the doctrines and commandments of men, as we've just said. Even though it's bound to God's Word, He's freed it from any other commandment that man would invent or doctrine that would not come from the Word of God. Anything not commanded in God's Word or necessarily contained in it. This is what we read about in our confession, chapter 21, on the liberty of conscience. This is true liberty of conscience, true freedom. And I, and I think the reason this is so important is because at heart, we are all prone to legalism. We're all prone to be legalist, to bind ourselves either morally or religiously to things not commanded by God, adding to that which God has commanded, demanding obedience to man-made laws in order to be you know, saved or a true Christian, right? We create these levels within Christianity. And it's really interesting. You guys probably know where I'm going to go, right? We always go back to the garden. This is the first thing that happens in the Garden of Eden. I won't spend too much time on that, okay? But this is the first thing that happens in the Garden of Eden, right? This is what, exactly what Eve did in the Garden of Eden. God had commanded them to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, He said, don't eat of this tree. But when the serpent asked Eve, did God really say this? She says, not only did he say not to eat of the tree, he said, you can't even touch it, which was a lie. And it was adding to God's word and what God had commanded. This is what the Pharisees did in the time of Jesus. They would add to God's law to protect them from breaking the law. So we're going to add more laws in order to protect us from breaking the true law of God. This is what the Judaizers did in the context of the book of Galatians, right? They were saying that you needed to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses in order to be a true Christian, in order to be truly saved. This is what the Roman Catholic Church does and did, especially during the medieval period, right? Demanding indulgences, prayers to Mary, vows of celibacy for the clergy. This is all the same thing. And we might think to ourselves, okay, why does this matter? What's the big deal here? Why does it matter if we just add a couple laws? What's the big deal, right? We're we're protecting ourselves. But the truth is that this strikes at the very heart of what we believe about salvation. This, this strikes at the very heart of what we believe about salvation, and this becomes salvation not by faith alone, but by works of the law. And this doctrine of Christian liberty was, as I said, at the heart of the Reformation. This doctrine of Christian liberty was actually at the heart of the Reformation. Calvin called it an appendix to justification. Calvin called it an appendix to justification, and John Owen called it the second principle of the Reformation. That what the Roman Catholic Church was doing at the time 
was they were binding the consciences of Christians to things not found in the Word of God, saying, you must do this. You must worship God in this way. You must do this thing or that thing in order to be right with God. So we can see pretty quickly how this would become salvation by works, legalism, seeking to be justified by the law, putting ourselves back under this covenant of works. But I think what makes it so hard is that these things can often appear righteous, holy, even pious. They can appear, they can have the appearance of good. Binding our conscience can sometimes make us feel better, right? It can make us feel more holy. Look what I do that these other people don't do. Look what I have bound myself to. Look how holy I am. But in reality, this only lowers the law of God. It makes the law something that you and I can attain, something you and I can sort of jump over, and it actually is no help in keeping us from true sin. Paul says this in the book of Colossians chapter 2. He says, all these man-made things, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. They have an appearance of self-made religion and aestheticism, false humility. But then he says this, they are of no value, of no value in actually stopping the indulgences of the flesh. They appear People appear more holy when they add these things to God's law, but in fact, they are no help in stopping the true indulgence of the flesh because they either create pride in us, cause us to be proud, look how, look how great I am, look at how holy I am, or they cause us to despair because we cannot measure up to these man-made laws. And so we see here that God in His mercy has freed our consciences from these doctrines and commandments of men. The yoke of slavery to man-made laws. And this liberty that we have, that Christ has given us, not only frees us from the commands of men, but it frees us to obey the commandments of Christ. It frees us to obey the commandments of Christ. And that leads us to our third point this morning, liberty to obey. Liberty to obey. That because of the freedom we have in Christ, the great work of salvation that He has done by grace alone, out of gratitude and thankfulness, God's people are free to now obey His commands. Not out of slavish fear, but childlike love for God. That for the believer, the commands of Christ are true liberty, true freedom. That the law of God is actually a delight. Because, why? Why is this true? Because we have been freed from our slavery to sin. We've been freed from our slavery to sin, as we just talked about. And so now we can actually obey God out of a true heart. Not trying to earn righteousness, but because of what He has done for us. No longer slaves to sin, but as Paul says, slaves to righteousness. Bound and free. Free 
to follow and obey the commandments of Christ. What does John say in 1 John 5, 3? For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. This is what love looks like. What does love look like? Do we get to decide what love looks like? No, this is love that we keep His commandments. But then he says this, and His commandments are not burdensome. They're not a weight to the Christian. Why? Because we've been set free. We've been liberated. And I think what makes this so difficult for us is that the world tells us the opposite, right? The world tells us the opposite. The world says that the law of God is bondage, it's slavery, it's oppression, it's restrictive, right? You know, how could your God tell me what to do, right? This is how the world sees the law of God. And sadly, even some professing Christians see any demand on the Christian as legalism. But when we see that the commands of Christ to his people are actually true freedom, this kind of flips everything on its head because it's actually the world that is in bondage. It is the world that is enslaved to their sins and unrighteousness. And it is the Christian who is truly free. (laughs) It's the Christian who is truly free, liberated to serve God and obeys his commands, as Paul says, for freedom. Christ has set us free. He'll say later in verses 13 and 14, you were called to freedom. He says, you're called to freedom, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what you've been called to. Now we can serve him. He'll also say, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't sin so that grace may abound. Don't use your Christian liberty to practice your sin. This is actually to go back into bondage, back into our slavery, into sin. And I think that the world here does realize a small sliver of truth. The world realizes a small sliver of truth that the commands of Christ for those For the unbeliever is burdensome. The law in and of itself does condemn us. It's like that mirror that Daryl will talk about that convicts us. It, It shows us what we are not able to measure up to. We are sinners. We cannot keep the law of God perfectly. But for the Christian who has put their faith in the finished work of Christ, we can receive the law of God not from the hand of Moses, but from the hand of Christ the one who has fulfilled the law perfectly for God's people and given us his spirit so that we can obey out of true faith. Christ in his active and his passive obedience has done everything and now we can seek to live for him. The law in and of itself says do this and live. But the gospel says live and do this. The law says, do this so that you can earn life. But the gospel says, life has been earned for you. Now live for God. The legalist seeks to add to God's law. The antinomian, the one that rejects God's law, seeks to take away from his law. But the gospel says this, the law has been fulfilled in Christ. It's been fulfilled in him. Put your faith in him. Put your faith in Christ. He'll give you a new heart that seeks to uphold his law, not out of slavish fear, but out of gratitude for what Christ has done. And 
So I think it's only here that we can really, after we've seen this full picture of what Christian liberty truly is, that we can begin to apply this truth to our lives. And there's three things that we'll look at this morning. The first thing is this, that God's people are truly free from their guilt and sin. God's people are truly free from the guilt of their sin. That I think for many of us here, we have, for all of us here, we've done things that we're not proud of, right? We've done things in our lives that, that still eat away at us. It's guilt that we carry in our lives. Maybe it was something that was done a long time ago. Maybe it was something that was done recently. But we are all tempted to carry this guilt over the sins that we've committed. And often what we do, sadly, is we kind of shove it down. We say, I'll just push on. I know, or we'll beat ourselves up. We'll say, I know I'm supposed to feel this guilt. And so we'll just push it down and suppress it and think that it will get better. I was a part of a Bible study one time. And this professing Christian would come in and he would just tell us how guilty he felt all the time. But he would just say, I just keep pushing it down. I just keep pushing it down and moving on. That's not how the Christian life is supposed to be. Christ has freed us from our guilt. He has freed us from the condemnation of our sin. He has cleansed and purified our conscience. This doesn't mean that we don't feel convicted over our sin. We should in, in every way feel convicted over our sin. But we are not condemned because we're found in Christ. He's freed our consciences and cleansed them from the guilt of our sin. This is good news. Second thing, not only are we truly free from the guilt of our sin, but we are truly free from the doctrines and commandments of men. We are truly free from the doctrines and commandments of men whether it is the legalism of religious leaders that would seek to bind our consciences illegitimately, or it is the pietism of those that would seek to add to God's commands and demand our obedience to their man-made laws, or even the superstition of man-made prophecies and quote-unquote new words from the Lord that undermine the sufficiency of Scripture and bind the consciences of God's people, destroying their liberty in Christ. That this doctrine of Christian liberty that was used to undergird the Reformation and free the people from the superstitions and the man-made doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church is just as essential today. It's just as essential today because my fear is that many people have been bound by superstitions, by man-made laws and prophecies, quote-unquote, new words from the Lord that undermine Scripture and end up tying their consciences into all sorts of knots. What do I mean? Maybe you've heard things like this. Pray this exact prayer and you'll be healed. Pray these words exactly like a formula and you'll be healed. Do this or that thing and God is going to have to bless you. Don't even say that you're sick. Don't even say that you're a sinner. Or don't even say the word sin, because that will somehow give that thing power over you. Just don't say it, and therefore you'll be free. Or God told me that you're going to be this. God told me that you're going to be that. Have more faith, and God's going to prosper you. 
Send money to our organization and God's going to multiply it back to you tenfold, right? These are all superstitions. They're all man-made commandments and they are all works-based. And the reason I know this is because for many years of my life, I lived like this. I lived like this, this paralyzing sense of I had to do what the quote-unquote Holy Spirit was telling me to do, right? Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I do this? Should I do that? This kind of still small voice that was paralyzing me because it wasn't causing me to look to God's Word. It was causing me to look to my kind of inclinations within myself, And this is not helpful for God's people. It really only binds the consciences unnecessarily of those that would hear these words. But I think when we understand the true doctrine of Christian liberty, the true freedom that we have in Christ, and the sufficiency of God's Word, we see that we are no longer bound to these things. But we are bound to the Word of God alone. We are bound to the Word of God alone and this is freedom. This is true liberty. And, that I, and I think that this begins to clear up a lot of the questions that can kind of pop up into our heads, especially those about what Christians can and can't do. Can Christians do this? Can Christians do that? Can they drink? Can they smoke cigars? Can they get tattoos, right? And I love this quote from Spurgeon. He was kind of being accused one time of, of doing something, of smoking a cigar And somebody was saying that that is bad, that's wrong, you shouldn't do that. And he said, I have have trouble enough keeping the Ten Commandments of God. I don't need an eleventh, right? I don't need an eleventh. And so while we can't address every single issue right now, I think it's safe to say that our conscience should not be bound to the doctrines of men, but to God's word alone. God's word alone. We need to be bound less to what men would command us to do and be bound more to what God's word would tell us to do. And I think that we would find that there's a lot more things that we're being bound to than we realize that are not good for us. And there's a lot more things that God is calling us to that we need to examine his word to see. Another quick thing is that we, we need to be careful not to bind the consciences of others unnecessarily. We need to be careful not to bind the consciences of others unnecessarily. Telling people to do things that are not found in God's Word. You must do this. You must practice this. You must do this thing or that thing. We need to be sensitive and aware that God has given us a liberty of conscience. We need to be careful before we bind someone's conscience unnecessarily. And I think the overarching principle to all these things is love. It's love. It's love for one another. It's service to our brothers and sisters, not despising them or causing someone to go against their conscience. As believers in Christ and as a body of Christ, we're going to rub up into one another. And we have different convictions. We have different consciences, right? We have some people in their liberty of conscience can do something to the glory of God. Some people cannot. Paul talks about this in Romans 14, the weaker brother and the stronger brother. The weaker brother can't, do, can't partake of something in good faith. Paul says, don't despise them. Don't despise them. Same thing with the stronger brother. Even though they can partake of something with a clear conscience, he says, don't despise the one that can't, and vice versa. The weaker brother is not to despise the stronger brother, 
And the stronger brother is not to despise the weaker brother. Out of love, we are to serve, lay down our liberties even, for the sake of our brother and sister in Christ. And at the the end, we're to regulate our consciences not by man-made things, but by the Word of God alone. And the final thing I'll say this morning is that we are truly free to live by faith and the power of the Spirit. We're truly free because of what Christ has done to live by faith and the power of the Spirit. Because Christ has set us free, we have true liberty, we have true freedom in Him, and we can live our Christian lives trusting in His finished work. Not looking to ourselves to see whether we meet this standard, but looking to Christ who has finished the work of salvation. And that the work that the Spirit has begun in us and is working in us will be brought to completion. You and I are not perfect. We will fail. We will sin against God. We will feel guilt for this, but Christ has freed us. We're to go to the gospel. We're to go to Christ and experience this liberty that Christ has purchased for us. There's lots of good questions that we can ask ourselves. Is this, am I doing this thing according to God's law? Am I doing this from a heart of faith? Am I doing this to God's glory? These are helpful questions. These are necessary questions for us to ask. But at the end of the day, we're relying on the Spirit of God to convict us, to, to point us to Christ, and to point us to the gospel where we have true liberty, true freedom, purchased by Christ, living for Him all of our lives. Let's pray this morning together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for the mercy that You've poured out for us in the person and work of Christ. The true liberty and freedom that we have. And I pray this morning that You would help us to stand firm in that freedom, in that liberty. The world is going to seek to to enslave us to our sins, Even our own consciences will sometimes seek to bind us, to create pride in us, or even causing us to despair. But I pray this morning you would show us the true liberty we have in Christ and in the gospel. Point us to our great need this morning and help us to live for you all the days of our lives. We need the power of your Spirit to help us, give us strength to see what you have commanded and what you have not commanded and help us to trust in what Christ has done. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.